Good morning. How is everybody this morning? Boy, that's bright. I have more sensitivity for Chris now. No, you didn't have to turn it down. That was fine. So I know you guys have become very comfortable with Chris Lazo being up here teaching. And I'm not Chris Lazo. For those who don't know me, my name is Alan Pugh, and I am a home group leader. Um, no Pat Home Group is our home group. Thank you. Um, and to try to make you all feel a little bit more comfortable with who I am, so that you're, you can kind of rest in and get into the word with me, what I'm going to do is take just a couple of minutes and share with you the journey God has taken myself and my wife Janine on to get to the point where I'm up here today. How does that sound? You're interactive. That's good. I was worried that I would say that and there would be nothing. So thank you for that. So my wife, my wonderful wife Janine and I have been beautiful, wonderful. She's right there. Chris set me up last week, so I'm setting you up this week. Sorry. I've been married for over 38 years. Um, we have three grown kids, two boys and a girl, and we, they're all married. Um, they live in San Rafael and San Francisco and Lake Tahoe. We have seven grandkids, starting with about eight months up to about eight years. And uh, we have six granddaughters and one grandson. So we have a poor, lone grandson, Noah, in San Francisco. Um, and as our kids have grown up and left the house and got married and had kids, Janine and I have been going through this process of a new season in our life, becoming empty nesters. And those of you who have been coming to Reality Santa Barbara for a while might remember about two years ago when Chris Lazo got up here on this stage and said, hey, Reality Santa Barbara is going to Israel. And the place went crazy. And he said, we're going to take about 50 people to Israel in September of 2015, and we're really excited about it. And we've done this several times as a reality church, and it's been life-changing for the people that have gone and if you had a meter that was like spontaneous to pragmatic, I'm kind of way over here on the pragmatic side. So usually if something like that was introduced, I would come up with all the reasons why it wasn't a good thing for us to do, or it wasn't something we could do. Busy schedules, stuff at work, really expensive, or whatever. And in this case, um, I felt the Lord prompted me to say, you guys need to go. On the spot, it was like, you guys need to go. So Janine and I signed up for the trip, and there was like six months of preparation and meeting together with all the amazing people. And in September of 2015, we went to Israel together. And Chris and his wife, Bree, were there, and Riz, who's birthing the church in Honolulu, and his wife, Zoe, were there. A lot of the worship team leaders were there. A lot of amazing people from this church came. There was about 50 people who went. And it was this life-changing experience of being where Jesus walked and taught and healed and was born, and was on the cross, and was buried, and rose. It was just this amazing experience. And the kind of rhythm of the time we were there is we would um, go to two significant spots just about every day. Um, so we'd get to a spot, and we had a tour guide who was a Messianic Jew, ex-tank commander. So it was this amazing guy that before we got to a place, he would give us the historical and social and political context for where we were going. And then generally, Chris would give this spirit-filled, spirit-led sermonette, and then the worship team would lead us into worship. And it was just, this, and we were doing that like twice a day. 
uh, for 10 days. And it was so amazing. And uh, we were on the Sea of Galilee um, one morning, and Chris was teaching on Jesus calling out the disciples for the first time. And the words, follow me, just kind of hit me like a nail. And basically, Jesus says, follow me. They dropped everything and turned and walked with him. And at that moment, I felt God telling me, that's what I want from you. I want you to be bolder. I want you to be able to just step into what I have for you. Which was, you know, when we went to Israel, we all wanted God to reach us in new ways and more powerful ways and deeper ways. And uh, it was cool. It was like the second day. And I was going, man, it's happening already. This is so amazing. And I think the next, after, maybe the same afternoon, maybe the next afternoon, I don't remember, um, we were in the hotel lobby, and Chris comes up to me and says, hey. And so I go, hey. You know, I didn't know him that well at that time, but it was good that he was engaging with me. He says, hey, we're doing baptisms this afternoon, and, and, I'd like, and I need a helper. I'd like you to help. And so my pragmatic, spontaneous meter immediately said, I've never done a baptism. What do you do? How can you, how are you? And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just slapped me upside the face and said, are you kidding me? <laughs> we, we had this follow me talk, you know, a few hours ago, and you were, all, you were all in. And then I asked you a little question like, will you help with a baptism? And I'm questioning it, right? So... Um, I, I kind of settled in, and I, I said yes, and had this amazing experience with the people in our uh, group that went to Israel, a lot of people getting baptized, and just seeing people proclaim their allegiance to Christ in front of this part of the church body, and everybody else who was there on the Sea of Galilee um, was just crazy. I mean, it was amazing. And um, as we were getting toward the end of the line of people who were going to get baptized, I felt God just tell me, hey, you and Janine... Should get, we had already been baptized, but sense that, hey, you guys should get baptized as a couple. This is a new season for you. You're going to be stepping into some things to serve me, and I really think you should get baptized again. So I thought about it, and kind of it resonated with me. So in Israel, on the Sea of Galilee, it was probably 100 yards from where we were maybe to the shore. And Janina was on the shore, and I kind of give her, you know, one of these kind of things, and she's kind of going, you know, because it's in the water, and I said, yeah you know, come out here, and she's going, you know, I'm not sure, I'm in my street clothes, you know, and so finally she kind of rolled up whatever she had on and went into the water, and Janine and I got baptized together in the Sea of Galilee, and again, we both had this amazing sense that God um, was telling us, I have a new season for you, I have more for you, I want you to step in in boldness, which was, again, which was amazing for us as a couple, and since then, we've seen God kind of pushing us into things that we were uncomfortable with for his service. Um, Janine has had an opportunity to teach at women's groups. She'd never taught like that before, to lead women's groups, to disciple a lot of young women. I've had the chance to teach at men's group. We, we um, counsel young couples who are getting ready to be married. Um, had another kind of one of those spontaneous um, pragmatic meter things when one of the couples asked would I officiate their wedding and it's like oh never done that before I'm not sure if I should and God you know just kind of slaps me upside the head again and says you don't listen well I thought I was <laughs> thought I was a good listener but I guess not um, so I've actually officiated two weddings you know I have this amazing family of people in our home group that we get to 
live life with and pursue Jesus in a deeper way and pursue relationships in a deeper way together with. So God's just been doing lots of different things, kind of little baby steps, maybe some a little bit bigger than baby steps for us. Um, And lately I've been, in addition to facilitating our home group with Janine, I've been responsible for trying to support the other home group leaders. And um, so Chris, Lazo, and I would get together on a regular basis and just talk about the church, pray for the church, talk about home groups, just kind of what's happening in our lives. And a couple Fridays ago, Chris and I had kind of finished up our business and prayed, and he hit me another with, hey! So I'm going, oh, I knew, I knew right, off of the bat, right off the bat it wasn't good, but I'm not sure, I wasn't sure what it was. And he says, hey, I'm going to be in the Middle East in a couple of weeks. What would you think about teaching on Sunday? And I took a deep breath, and I used the, I need to pray about it, excuse. Um, <laughs> and, um, and again, the Holy Spirit just whapped me upside the head, and um, you know, I did pray about it. Janine and I both prayed about it um, because I'm one of you. This is new for me. Um, but in the end, what the Holy Spirit really told me is if you don't say yes, you're just wimping out and being disobedient. And um, that's why I'm here. <laughs> because um, I, cho- I chose not to be wimpy and disobedient. And to really um, kind of step in to what God is calling me to. And it ultimately had so much prayer support and realizing that this isn't about me, this is about Jesus, this is about the Holy Spirit moving amongst us all. And that kind of took the pressure off to some degree. But this morning, uh, in preparation, I actually, this is a journal that a guy named Steve Jones, some of you might know him, they were in this church for a while, and then they've moved to Sacramento, he and his wife, Nicole, he gave it to me before we went to um, Israel. I'm going to have to use my glasses, sorry. Um, And, you know, journaling is one of the things you try to do on a trip like this, right? And so um, this was on the the third tour day. And I wrote down, again, this is September of 2015. What am I getting right now from the Lord? Need to follow without a concern about preparedness. Be bold. Step out. Embrace the word with more rigor rely on the Holy Spirit. And then this must have been percolating on me overnight because the next morning on Sunday, um, September 13th of 2015, says, hearing from God, follow me, no strings attached, don't hold back. I'm not the author of fear. Be bold, trust me. And then it says, what does this mean? Don't overthink. (laughs) Experience what God has for me slash us. Don't worry about what others think so much. Don't worry about the result so much. Trust God. So I thought it was just so amazing um, that God's instructions for me in September of 2015 were the, the ones that I needed totally for, the, for this morning. So that's why I'm here this morning. Um, the focus this morning is going to be on Joshua um, chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. But before we get to that, I'm going to give us just a kind of a quick ESPN kind of a recap on what we've already um, gone through in Chris's teaching up to this point in time, because I think it's important context for us to have. But we open up um, the book of Joshua with Moses' death and Joshua taking command, right? And one of the first stories that Chris taught on was about Rahab. 
And if you guys recall the story of Rahab, she is the innkeeper slash prostitute in Jericho that the two spies that Joshua had sent in come in contact with. And because of her faith, she is both saved and because of her faith, she takes action to protect the spies who go back and give a report to, um, to Joshua about what the landscape is in Jericho. And basically what she told um, the spies was, because of your God, because of this amazing God you guys have, the people here are melting with fear. So everybody is really scared of your God, and I believe in your God. So the translation for us is the same thing, right? With faith, with faith, we are saved. So that's the opening chapter or two. Then we moved into crossing the Jordan River. And if you remember that text, the, the Israelites come to the shore and are expected to wait there for several days before they cross. And the message there was sometimes in the face of insurmountable roadblocks, God calls us to wait and watch and then follow him. And if you think about what was going on, um, the Jordan River at that time, what they said was um, at flood level. So they estimated it to be maybe 10 or 12 feet high, maybe rushing at 40 miles an hour. So if you can imagine, um, I don't know, they, I think they estimate between a million and two million people who were there. Um, men, women, children, elderly, cattle, um, all the stuff that they had packed, waiting and watching this river going at 40 miles an hour, 10 or 12 feet high, thinking, we're going over this thing. So imagine the faith that these people needed to have and the faith that it built to be waiting for three days before they had to cross. Then we move into them crossing. And if you remember that, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord led them into the Jordan, that the priest carrying the Ark stepped into the Jordan and immediately the water stopped. And it said, build heaps like columns of water um, that would rise into the sky and dry bone on the ground. And all of these people, with the presence of God in the ark, which is with the symbol, um, cross over from one side of the Jordan to the other side of the Jordan. Um, so again, amazing faith, an amazing presence and power of God on display. Think about a million to two million people crossing the Jordan. I mean, that's 10 to 20 times the population of Santa Barbara crossing over the Jordan. And all the dynamics, I mean, we have a lot of dynamics in a church this size. Think about the dynamics of a million to two million people, young, old, um, all their supplies, all their livestock crossing over. And the next little vignette is God asking for 12 stones to be gathered, one person, one man, from each of the 12 tribes to gather a stone and bring it on as a memory, as a remembrance of who he was, of his power and his authority. And for generations to come, they would remember who he was. And so they did that. And from there, we moved to um, the new generation being circumcised. So they're on the other side of the Jordan. All the men who had been circumcised prior had died, the new generation were over there. They were in the midst of all of their enemies and God calls them to make flint knives and circumcise all the men of age. And they did that. Can you imagine the faith that they had in the midst of all their enemies? And there's other stories about circumcision being used as a, as a plot, right, to attack. 
So they did that as a sign of faith and covenant uh, with the Lord. Um, from there, um, we start, um, we see the, um, the, Lord, the commander of the Lord's army um, has this encounter with Joshua. And Chris taught that that is thought to be either God or the pre-incarnate Christ having this encounter with Joshua. And basically ends up being, this isn't about you, Joshua, this is about me. Joshua asks him, are you for us? Are you for our enemies? And his answer is no. So it's really about us submitting to the lordship of um, God. And from there, we move to Jericho. And if you remember the story there, um, Jericho is this fortified city, um, is the next step to move the people into the promised land. <clears throat> Excuse me. And what um, God instructs, um, Joshua to do is have the armed forces with the Ark of the Covenant again, with God's presence in the middle of it, to walk around the fortified city once a day for six days with the horn continuously blowing, but no talk. So again, imagine you're a soldier, a warrior, and um, first day around, go back, second day around, and go back. And on the seventh day, they were called to go around it seven times and then shout and then the walls would tumble down and they would conquer Jericho. And that's exactly what happened. Um, and what that brings us to is the last sentence in chapter six, which is basically the Lord is with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. So everything ends on this amazing note. And that's a quick recap on one through six. So now we're going to go into chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, and pull out your Bibles or your phones or whatever you use, and I'll read it to us, and then we'll pray, and then we'll talk about that. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord, um, we just thank you for who you are, Lord. You just, in these first six chapters, you show how amazingly powerful you are and how much love you have for your people. We just pray for today, Lord, that you would um, reveal yourself to us through your word and through what we talk about. Lord, we just pray that um, we can submit to you and everything you have for us. And again, we pray that, Lord, this would be a day um, that we get closer to you, more intimately connected to who you are in our lives. And we just lift up this time together and um, praise you for it, Lord, and thank you for it. 
And we pray all this in your mighty name, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. So chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. Um, it's a little snippet and kind of the front page story of um, this little section of scripture is this guy named Achan. Um, and it gives a little bit on his genealogy. But him um, basically defying God, kind of an in-your-face defiance of what God has called these people to do. In, verse, in chapter 6, as they get ready to take over Jericho, it talks about these devoted things. Everything needs to be devoted to the Lord and ready for destruction. And what um, Achan does, we'll find out in chapter 8, le- later in chapter 7, um, when Chris teaches next week, is there was gold and silver and fine robes that got, caught Achan's attention. And these were some of the things that needed to be devoted to the Lord. And were supposed to go into the Lord's treasury. And he saw them and decided, I'm going to take this stuff, took it, and then dug a hole in his tent and hid it. So this is kind of the lead-in to um, the section of Scripture, but it kind of is left there until later on in the chapter. And what we move to is Joshua and this battle at Ai. And Ai is kind of the next logical, strategic place that the Israelites need to go to kind of set up in the Promised Land. So they've, they've conquered Jericho. The next place to go is this place called Ai. And what he does is, I guess, like any good military commander does of the day, he sent in two spies to check it out. And the spies went in, looked things over, and came back and reported back to Joshua and said, hey, this is a no-brainer. I mean, we can send in 3,000 people, um, take them easily. We don't even have to tire the rest of our people um, because it's such an easy task for us to take on. Um, That's what Joshua did. Joshua approved it. The 3,000 men went in, and they were decimated. They were routed. They were humiliated. They were devastated. So Israel's army, 36, were killed, and the rest of them were, it sounds like they were basically chased down a hill, swatted down a hill in humiliation, going back to Israel. And what the last line of the the chapter, I mean, the verses that we're studying there is basically saying their hearts, the people of Israel's hearts, melted in fear. So just like in the Rahab story, where the enemy's hearts melted with fear because of the power of the living God, in this case, the people of Israel's hearts melted because they were acting in the absence of God in the battle of Ai. So what we're going to focus on this morning is not Achan and his in-your-face sin of taking the devoted thing, but we're going to focus in on Joshua and the battle of Ai. And the focus is really going to be What's different about the Battle of Ai versus what's happened already in Jericho, what's happened in crossing the Jordan River? If you read verses 2 through 5, you'll see something absent. And what's absent is God. So here, Joshua and his people have gone through this amazing time of engaging with the Lord and the Lord giving directions, very specific directions, and the Lord being present by virtue of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, both in Jericho and in um, the Jordan River crossing. And if you read through chapter 7, verse 2 through 5, God is nowhere to be found. And you could say, well, God's not there because we've got this undealt with sin of Achan, that Achan's taken these devoted things, which is true, but you also don't see Joshua pursuing the Lord. You don't see Joshua asking for the Lord to be involved in what should we do in this battle? 
what should our plan be in this battle? So the thing that we see here that is unique about the Battle of Ai is Joshua acting independent as opposed to dependent on the Lord. So he's independent from the Lord rather than being dependent on the Lord. And, and what happens? So they've gone from the thrill of victory to the agony of defeat, right? Very quickly. So immediately after this amazing victory at Jericho, they go into this humiliating, devastating defeat in I. Have you guys ever heard the term, um, the thrill of victory to the agony of defeat? Has anybody heard that before? Where did, where did you hear that from? Why, who's, who's old enough to, thank you, <laughs> two or three people. So, so, th- so there was a, sh- a TV show before ESPN that was called Wide World of Sports, a little diversion. History lesson for all the college students. So it was called, it was called Wide World of Sports, and it was kind of pre-ESPN, and it was probably the only show re- Saturdays. And, w- and what it was is it, it talked about the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. So what it had is kind of the thrill of victory was somebody like Olga Corbett or Mary Lou Retton or somebody like that you know, sticking a landing with a broken leg and get 10 scores. And then you have on the agony of defeat, you have like ski jumpers who are out over their skis like this and the wind takes them like three mountains, you know, (laughs) down here and, you know, crashes in an avalanche or something like that. And that's what this was like for Joshua. Again, the high, the rush of being so close to God, seeing him do such amazing things to this humiliating defeat for the entire people of Israel right? And again, what we need to realize is why did that happen? That happened because God was not present. So the power and presence of the Almighty God was not active in I. So now we're going to turn it on you guys a little bit. So I want you to kind of take, okay, this is Joshua's experience in the battle of I versus all these amazing things. So Joshua, think about what he had. He was the commander of this group of people, right? Two million people coming into a new place. This guy was probably very busy, right? So we don't know exactly why did he leave God out. You know, it could have been that he was getting cocky, could be um, he was tired, could be he was busy, could be he thought, man, this is a small thing. We can just knock it out. No problem. The spies say we only need 3,000 people. We don't really know. But what I really want to challenge you in your life is to think about how your life compares to what Joshua and the people of Israel experienced in I. So we're going to kind of do an inventory. We're going to kind of look at the landscape. You guys are busy people, but I don't think you're busier than Joshua. Most of you, anyway. And what I want you to do is really filter this through the lens of your day-to-day life. So we're going to start with relationships. So if you look at the relationships, we have fathers, mothers, boyfriends, girlfriends, hope-to-be boyfriends, girlfriends, wives, husband, kids, co-workers, um, housemates, roommates, uh, everybody has this web of relationships in the group. And the, the question that I would challenge you with this morning is, are you depending on the power and presence of the Lord in your relationships, or are you going it alone and acting independent of God in your relationships? So think about it. Think about the people you interact with every day. Is God in the middle of those things, like he was in the middle of Jericho, like he was in the middle of crossing the Jordan River? Or are you independent, acting independent of him in your relationships? I think we have a lot of students probably still in here. Um, How about school? School's tough, challenging classes, a lot of pressure, maybe expectations from parents, high bills, uh, uh, tuition bills, lots of tests, homework, 
What am I going to do after I graduate? Am I going to grad school? Can I afford to live in Santa Barbara? All this stuff. So my question to you all is, are you in your schooling dependent on God, his power, his presence, like Joshua and the people of Israel were at the Jordan and at Jericho? Or are you going it alone like they did at I? How about work? A lot of workers in here probably. Funky bosses, performance reviews, should have got that promotion, maybe should change jobs, got an interview coming up, all these things going on in your work life. My question to you is, again, are you depending on God and his presence and his power in your work, or are you going it alone? And we could go through the list, right? Health, money, sex life, the, whole, the list goes on and on and on and on, right? My question to you this morning and the, the application for us in this little bit of text is, are you guys going it alone? Or are you relying on the power and the presence of the Almighty God in your life? Because if you talk to Joshua, if we could talk to Joshua now, he says, how do you feel, how, how'd that go for you at the battle at I, doing it independent of God? Probably would say not so great, right? So that's the same question for you is, are there things going on in your life areas of your life where you're choosing to go it alone, independent of God's power and his presence, as opposed to relying on him, depending on him, desperately depending on God. And if you think about who Joshua turned to at the Battle of Ai, he turned to his spies, right, spies reports, and he turned to his own human intelligence. He was a commander. He probably knew a lot of different things. But he didn't turn to God. God was very active in Jericho. God was very active in crossing the Jordan, but was not involved at all in the battle at Ai. So my question to you about who are you turning to is the enemy, not a question, I guess a comment to start out with, the enemy is extremely powerful at trying to convince you that there are things other than God that you can turn to when you have a time of need. So all those I'm so, so I'm so tired, I'm so discouraged, I'm so stressed, I'm so busy, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, what do you turn to? The enemy wants to convince you that you can turn to a drink, and that'll take away the stress. The enemy wants to convince you, turn to a pill. There's pills that'll handle anything. Turn to a pill, that'll handle it. Turn to a joint. Turn to porn. Turn to social media. Just get on Facebook as passe, right? What's, what do you get on nowadays? Instagram, Snapchat, whatever. Get, get, get on that for half an hour, an hour. I'm a very old person, so I apologize for that in advance. Um, my wife is not supposed to laugh at me like that. Um, so what are you turning to? It could be um, I isolate. Could be I go work out. And again, some of these things aren't bad, some are. But the enemy is going to try to convince you that in your time of need, which is always, you can turn to other things and they will satisfy you. But what the God of the universe wants to tell you today is, I want you to be dependent on me. I want you to turn to me. I don't want you to turn to all these other things. I don't want you to count on your own ingenuity. I want you to count on me. So again, if we use Joshua as an example for our lives, Joshua had this thrill of victory that he experienced at 
the Battle of Jericho, crossing the Jordan, in God's presence, seeing the amazing things of God. The same God that made the Jordan River dry so they could walk through is our God. The same God that by walking around Jericho six times and then seven times on the seventh day and then shouting and the walls coming down is our God. This is the God that we have. And he wants you to depend on him. He doesn't want you to depend on all these other things. So we're going we're gonna, to, God wants you to know how he wants to relate to you and that he, you do, um, you can depend on him and he wants you to depend on him. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask for a little bit of trust here. In about a minute, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I'm going to read some scripture to you that the intent, and I want you to filter this through your life, your circumstances, and I want you to hear God's voice to you about the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. So close your eyes and listen. Take a deep breath. Relax. This is the God of the universe, the same one that parted the Jordan River. So marinate in this truth here. Just take a deep breath, relax, close your eyes. This is from Psalm 18.2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Isaiah 58.11, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you should be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Isaiah 41.13, for I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Philippians 4, 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Romans 8:28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So this is how God feels about you. This is what God wants for you. God wants you to understand 
that he wants you to depend on him? Is it obvious by the truth of the scripture that I just read? The God of the universe wants to be your go-to person. When you go to something, when you trust in something, he doesn't want it to be all those things I talked about. He wants it to be him. So if you think about this problem of us having this independent spirit, we, we are prone to wander, right? Even jo- Joshua, how could Joshua have not depended on God, right? You gotta think, this guy just had some crazy victories, right? He's seen God do amazing things and then he goes and leaves God totally out in the battle of Ai. What's that all about, right? We're the same way, right? It's so easy. If you were honest with yourself, I would think most of you found a place in your life where if you're being really honest, you would say, God's not really there. And if you don't have any of those, what I would tell you is you're like Joshua before I. And you gotta be, you better be more watchful, right? Because there's something coming up. You need to be watchful, you need to be ready. Because if all's good, you gotta be watchful. Because the enemy wants to take you down. The enemy wants you to turn to other things. Our God wants us to turn to him, but the enemy wants you to turn to all these other things and make you think they're good make you think they're satisfying when they're really not. So what do we do? So what's our response? So we have this loving God. Hopefully you guys believe that. Maybe you believe it in your head, but somehow so far you're not living it out in your heart. You don't really believe it in your heart. What is our response to this loving God who wants us to be totally dependent on him? And we're going to go to John. Um, my little ear thing seems to be moving on me. We're going to go to John 15, 5 through 11. This is what God is calling us. This is what God is calling you to do today in terms of response. Well, it may not be up there, but I'm going to read it. John 15, 5 through 11. A bit of scripture that most of you are probably familiar with. But this is the response God wants from us this morning and always. I am, this is from, this is Jesus talking. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So this is probably what Joshua was feeling, right? He's feeling like a branch that was disconnected from the vine. He was, fe- he was feeling withered and torn and like he was going to get burned in the fire, right? That's how he feels. So t- today, this morning, for everybody here, this is what God desires for, this is what Jesus wants from you this morning. He wants you to abide in the vine. So think about that amazing picture of dependency. A branch can't do anything without being connected to the vine, right? That's where all the nutrition comes from. That's where everything comes from so it can survive. And what does it produce when that connection is there? It produces good fruit, right? So what we want in our lives and what we will do if we we focus on being dependent on God and looking, uh, kind of rooting out those places of independence, those places of sin that are really not dealt with, is we'll be given fruit. But the three things that it talks about, the result of abiding in the vine, and abiding is remaining the whole independence, dependence thing, that's all about the vine and the branches, right? That's what God wants. That's that's being... um, desperate for him. That's being dependent on him is being a branch connected to the vine. But what it does is it glorifies God. So if you think back to the early chapters of Joshua, 
That's what was happening, right? God was glorified because of these amazing things that were happening, so much so that the people, the enemy's hearts melted in fear. Is that amazing? I mean, think about that. Because of how amazing our God is, the enemy's hearts melted in fear. Do any of the people that you're around that are enemies, are their hearts melting with fear because of how they see your God doing amazing things in your life? That's what we want. That's what happens when you abide in the vine, right? The second thing is we bear much fruit. So when we abide in the vine, when we're dependent on Christ and not independent from him, that's when fruit is produced. Apart from him, we can do nothing, right? So all of us who think, I'm pretty good, I'm pretty independent, I'm pretty smart, I'm, re- I'm going to get great grades, I'm going to get a great job, I'm going to get a great husband or wife, I'm going to have great kids, all this kind of stuff, apart from Christ, nothing is going to happen, right? Apart from Christ, that's what this says, apart from the vine, nothing is going to happen. So the challenge again for us today as we move into our second set of worship is really to get to a place where you can have an encounter, like the encounter with the the commander of the Lord's army. I want you all to have an encounter with Jesus this morning. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to identify those areas in your life where you're acting independent of the power and the presence of God. Those places where you've taken on independence. Or you could be like Achan, where you have some straight out, in your face, sin that needs to be dealt with this morning. You need to repent and you need to get right with God. Or or the whole gamut. So this morning, as we go into our second set of worship, here's my challenge to you. Pursue God. Ask God to show you those places in your life where you're acting out independent of his love, of his presence, of his power, and ask him to turn those things around. Ask him to give you a refreshment of your spirit so that you can be connected to the vine. After this service, I'd like you to feel like the Lord met you and encountered you, and you got reconnected to the vine. So let me pray for everybody. Lord, we just thank you for this time we have. And Lord, we are so amazed that you want to have this kind of a relationship with us, Lord. So please, Holy Spirit, show us those places in our life that we are living independent of your presence and your power, Lord. Show us where we need to repent and turn back to you, Lord. If there are strongholds or things holding us back, or if I'm turning to things like porn, like alcohol, like drugs, like social media, Lord, instead of you, show me what those things are, and Lord, help me root them out this morning. Break those strongholds this morning, Lord. And again, we thank you for who you are, how powerful you are, Lord. But at the same time, as you are so powerful, you are so loving, we are so lucky, Lord. So again, I just pray that this um, next few minutes of worship, Lord, would be a time where you minister to the people of this church, Lord. Again, don't let their hearts be hard, Lord. Let their hearts be soft to what you want to do with them this morning. So again, we thank you and we love you, Lord. And again, we just lift up this time of worship in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.